for a pastor to get up and say the things that he said and um, to, I, I understand, <laughs> it's uh, one of the, you can trust an evangelist to come and preach and win souls and all that kind of stuff, but when you begin to take on the, the subject of holiness, uh, it's, um, it's one of those things that you kind of would like to know what they're going to say before they say it, so you, you know, just makes you feel better. You either need to you either need to have an interview first, say try it out on me, you know, or load up on nerve pills. No, not really, because it is that it is that delicate as far as I'm concerned. You can take what I'm talking about tonight, and I honestly, as the way I feel right now, unless you know, we all just let God spirit have its way right and uh, I don't have any intentions to get into a bunch of specifics because the relationship of a pastor with a congregation in a church culture in a location are the combinations that usually need to be stated or are settled whenever someone is dealing with things like that because it's, um, it could be totally mishandled if someone just tried to preach that everything just rolled in regardless of how it felt. But I do feel that we need to always be sensitive to the Spirit because when the Spirit moves in a certain way, you can address things that otherwise it's not time. I've learned that fruit picked green never has the taste of vine ripe fruit. Takes patience to get that to happen though. You have to wait sometimes. I've and as a pastor many years and it's hard to figure out that uh, coming or just finished up thirty six years in Piercy. And um, there have been a lot of times that I felt like I needed to get something done and there were some other folks that felt like I needed to get something done. You get what I'm talking about. And they were kind of, when are you going to handle that situation? But I felt, I felt a, a wall, Brother Stephen, and I felt something hold me back. And then a month later, or a couple of months later, long after I had worn out the patience of good saints that really wanted the pastor to handle it, the time came. It presented itself. It was in the time. That's the reason why that Brother Melton, we've been talking about this probably for three years or whatever at some point in time. You mentioned that, coming back and doing that. And we just kind of put it out there and, and just left it. But, but I, believe, I believe the time is right. I believe God is with us in this because we are at a very crucial time. The church is being attacked. Your mind is being attacked. If you haven't noticed it, but about everybody that has COVID ends up with like, man, there's an oppression that comes with COVID. We need to understand that the enemy's coming in every way that he can. The book of Daniel says that one of the efforts in the last days would be to wear out the saints of the Most High. Fatigue. But I'm telling you that tonight, 
I stand here before you believing that as Boaz told his servants concerning Ruth, he said, leave behind some handfuls, not on purpose, but of purpose. There's a difference from having something on purpose and having of purpose. Let me explain to you tonight. What I'm talking to you about tonight is not just a whim. It's not something that is just take it or leave it. These are things that are of purpose, and we are in the midst of the purpose of God. And that's the reason that he said, words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in pictures of silver. They have the backdrop that they need, and they stand out. So time, material is not a problem. We've got plenty of material, but I want the timing of the Holy Ghost. And I cannot tell you how honored I am to be here tonight, and I could spend the next several minutes just telling you how much I admire your pastor, his family, and this church uh, for all that you have done through the years and the investments that you've made in the lives of people that we love and have seen the results throughout the district and always in the thoughts of good churches in, in Arkansas or beyond is right here at New Life Ministries. And I want Brother and Sister Milton to know that we hold them in high regard, and it is one of my greatest honors to be here tonight. Praise God. And um, I would like to, I'm just going to start talking to you here for a moment about some of this, not like I've already started talking, but I will go ahead and talk to you tonight. I want to do concepts of holiness, and probably what I'm going to do and what I'm going to talk, the, the presentation that I'm going to make is going to be different. It's a different take on holiness. God began to work with me 25 years ago about our view of holiness. So don't get nervous too quick, but I just want to tell you, I think that what we've done has been right, but the reason we did it many times was wrong. And I am going to, in the next three Wednesday nights, if God will be my helper, I wouldn't have agreed to take off three Wednesday nights if it had not been something that I believe that God's going to help us with. You are going to look at holiness in completely a different angle than what you have before. Praise God. Is that all right? You, you, you okay with your head being messed with? Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me and let's just ask God one more time to open up our hearts, touch my brain and my mouth, and allow me to just flow in His Spirit and speak to you the wonderful truths of the Word of God. Let's talk to Him right now together, would you? Lord, we love you, we praise you, we believe you right now that you're going to minister to us tonight and that you're going to help us, Lord Jesus, throughout these services that we would find exactly what you would have us to say, O oh Lord God, minister to this congregation. I believe you, Lord, as you're touching us, you're helping us, and you're going to use this, Lord Jesus, to set a fire, some passion in people to transform their views of what it's like to live for you and the reason why we live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Lord bless you. I do want to tell you I enjoyed that worship and um, that 
it, it just feels good in here, and I do want to compliment, wow, it looks so good in here. From the last time that I was here to now, you folks have done a phenomenal job transforming this sanctuary. Why don't you go ahead and give yourselves a hand? It looks awesome, and it feels good in here. And I encourage you to go ahead, lock in, get with me on this, and uh, a hallelujah, an amen, or whatever isn't um, any problem whatsoever. It works out really good if you want to do that. So um, I want to talk to you about the precepts and concepts of holiness and to change our perspective of it just a little bit. I've got three different areas that I want to deal with. Two of them, the last two are going to be a little bit, it's, it's going to be a pretty much closer together than what I'm going to start out with tonight, but I want to talk to you about these three different areas. Number one, holiness is for protection. Holiness is also going to be for identity, and holiness is also going to be for evangelism. Now, only one of those really are about us individually and can be looked at maybe somewhat in a selfish way. So I'm going to just go ahead and dive off into this real quick and tell you that if you've lived your life asking the question, if I do this, will I go to hell? Let's lose that question because that's not the motivation that we need. You're going to live miserable. You're going to be always looking over your shoulder. You're going to violate the very principle of Scripture when Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world. And you're going to live under condemnation because you will set uh, things in your life and you will always be looking for being good enough to go to heaven. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. But I didn't put it in here because I just figured I'd run out of time. I asked Brother Melton, this is, this is, uh, this is my best friend here. I'm going to put it on him. But he told me, he said, uh, just whenever. So if I just keep going tonight, it's because he said just whenever. Now, I do have in my bag at home, but I left it at home, a towel somebody from the church gave me that says five more minutes. And so if you need me to, I can bring it back with me and I can hang it up here every time we begin to feel like we're getting finished and I need five more minutes. That's just kind of that's just kind of being uh, a preacher, I guess. But I want to I want you to look at the book of Exodus chapter 28. The very beginnings here. And Moses is in the presence of God. God is beginning to lay out the tabernacle plan and so on. Then he gets over into um, the the ark and how it's going to be, the furniture that's in. Then he gets to the clothes of the high priest and what Aaron's going to wear. And then he gets down to um, the, the, for, the forefront of the miter that's going to be on his head. So he said in verse um, 36 of Genesis, uh, Exodus 28, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, Engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, uh, that it may be upon the miter, upon the forefront of the miter. It shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, and Aaron, uh, that Aaron may bear the iniquity 
of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Aaron obviously would be synonymous with what we would call the pastor today. Isn't it interesting that I will tell you that if you gave Brother Melton and Sister Melton a month's vacation, sent them to the far reaches of the world, and they were in a foreign country, they still will not be free from the burden of New Life Ministries. It will still be in your forehead. It's still going to be on your mind. Wonder how they're doing. What about that new baby? I wonder if it's making it okay that was in the hospital. What about Sister So-and-So's diagnosis? What about uh, the, the people that I see are struggling in their spirit and they, they manifest a lack in their, in their worship and they're not responding the way that they should. They're not living. That will always, it, it is there. It's in the forehead. It's always there. It's on your mind. That was a principle that was placed upon Aaron's forehead. Now, I want to I wanna just, um, I'm just going to bump this and keep on rolling. Hopefully, I won't jump any rabbits when I hit this brush pile. But watch this. It says in verse 38, and Aaron, that, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things. That hit me the other day, and I ended up preaching a whole message to our church about it. It, it's, it's plumb crazy. How in the world do you get iniquity and holy things in the same sentence? I've lived long enough and been around apostolic Pentecostals long enough to know that you cannot have holy things without having iniquity of holy things. You can get hurt worse at church. You can get more uh, confused at church. You can get more uh, disillusioned with God by watching people at church and things that go on in the church than any place else in the world. You know how we handle that? We get the guidance of the man of God. That's the reason that all of this was holiness to the Lord, so that if you have a holy environment, you can handle the iniquity of holy things. People that are offended, it will get fixed if you'll just stay with the church because that's what holiness is about. Somebody shout yes. I'm just going to bump that and keep on moving. But I do want to tell you that it, as I said a while ago, we're going, to, we're going to change our perspective just a little bit of this, Brother Rhett. Because if I, if I told you that I was going to take a trip, you would be asking me, where are you going? And when you ask me, where are you going, there is a just, understood where are you going to and if I say I'm going from hot springs you're going to know I'm in a bad way I just had it up to here and I'm getting out of here but all of us if we take a trip we need to go where we're going we need to know where we're going to So somebody help me about right now. I'm about to get excited. The reason I got down here where I had some room. We do not need to live in a mindset that our holiness is from the world. It is to the Lord. 
if we will get our focus on moving close to him, you'll never have to worry about coming from the world. It is a natural reaction when we get our attention focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. When we get to focusing on getting that prayer meeting, when we get to focus upon reading the Word of God, we get to focus upon praying, we get to focus upon worship, we get to focus upon giving, the next thing you know, we're moving farther and farther and farther away from the world. But Satan loves for us to get our mindset on what we're going from. Watch this. I'm not... I got a microphone in my hand, but I saw this illustration many years ago, and I've done it so many times, I think it's mine now. So. But if you drew a straight line across the top here, and we would let that represent God because he never changes. And then you took another line, and you immediately began to just go downward with it. That would be the world because it's continuing to digress. It's continuing to get worse and worse. But if you would take in the middle of that and put a point, and that would be you. You're between God and the world. If you will try, and our focus will get to the point to where we're trying to get closer to God. That line will continue to do something like this because he's making us in his image and we're becoming more and more like him every day. We're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. But if that line at the world is going downward, what does it naturally do? It takes us closer to him and further from the world. But if we ever allow ourselves to have the reference point of how far we can stay from the world. We will continue that downward trend, feeling great. Feeling great that we're still just as far from the world as we used to be. But what happens is, as iniquity waxes worse and worse, then we are measuring from the world. We have a tendency to get farther and farther from God in more cold in our spirit and can feel good about it because at least we're not doing that. I don't think I've got to get into a lot of detail for us to understand what I'm talking about because used to, it was, um, you know, you, you used to preach against People living together need to get married. Then after that, you got to where you, you, uh, you know, then you had, now you're having to preach about that men marry women. It's okay, you know, just leave me up here by myself. That's all right. We, that should never be debated. It was Adam and Eve. Started out that way, and that's the way. Okay. All right. But I just, but if you begin to measure yourself from the world, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. We have gotten to, to the point now to where 
you know, gender, gender identity and all this stuff that's going on, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't mean to jump off into this this quick, but we live in a world that it's all up in our hair all the time. You can't brush it out. You just walk out in the world and it's facing you again. You try to go do something and they're, they're changing the rules again. They're doing this and they're making this. You know, are we doing okay? Listen to me. That's the reason I'm telling you that there could not be a better moment right now. There could not, there's never been a moment than right now that we address what we're addressing right now. That we understand that we are, God, get our focus off of the world and quit okaying just how, but let's go ahead and let's get, a, let's get focused on him. Let's have some conversations with him. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and say something else here. What I'm going to tell you is that there have been many people that said, I'm going to, I'll tell you what, Brother Milton, I just got some personal convictions. And I don't really believe like you believe, but I, my personal conviction just doesn't. Well, let me explain to you what personal convictions. Personal convictions is not a license to be disobedient to what the pastor feels is necessary for the congregation. Personal convictions should take you farther. Personal convictions say, you didn't ask me to do this, but I've got this conviction. I know me. And since I know me, you never preached against it. Matter of fact, you probably would say, it's that's probably all right. But I know me, and I know what my weakness is. Is there an opportunity for somebody in this house tonight to say, I'm going to get so honest with God that when God deals with me about something, I'm not going to try to figure out how to okay it. I'm not going to try to talk to the pastor and see if we can find some way around it. I'm simply going to say, God, you know me, and I know what you're asking of me, and I'm coming to you. I'm not just coming away from the world. Let me tell you something. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this house right now because we're addressing something that God is fond of. But if you want power in your life and you want the faith to fall down at the side of your bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and expect him to show up, start listening to him on some of these things and you're going to find that he's as close as the mention of his name and your faith will soar. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let me read on here just a little bit more. Psalm 93, verse 5. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. It's just becoming. It makes sense that we need to look like something's changed. Okay, let's just keep moving. Apostle Paul said something like this. I'm just going to drop down to verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who called you, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those scriptures, I hope, just kind of resonate in your mind and you can remember that because it's going to be interwoven just like a thread in a garment. It's going to be interwoven that you can pull that, hopefully, when we get finished with this 
um, with these three Wednesday nights and feel like it puckers all the way through because the, that thread of truth is that God has called us out and he has chosen us. Okay, I'll go ahead and say this. Please don't ever get hung up on the doctrine of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Because it's not about accepting Him. It's about Him accepting us. You say, would you clarify that? I'm so glad you asked. I could just tell you wanted me to. Sure. It is the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He said, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. You know what the spirit of adoption is? The baby doesn't choose the parents. God's, God walks by and says, I want that one right there. Come here. Please understand with me tonight. That if you ever felt the tug of the Spirit of God on your heart and ever felt the nudge of conviction, it is the most wonderful blessing that you could ever possibly have in this world because that's God saying, hey, want to walk with me? Come follow me and I will make you. It's an invitation to a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me somehow understand that it is a privilege to be sitting in New Life Ministries tonight because there are thousands of people who have no clue what you know, what you've experienced, what you felt, and the peace you have in the chaos of this world. So let's look at it as being blessed to have the opportunity to live this life. Not a drudgery. See, the world keeps pushing us to try to make us like them. Now, please don't misunderstand anything that I say here, but I will tell you, it is amazing to me that the people who push tolerance in our world are the most intolerant people in the world. If you're so tolerant, then leave me alone. If I want to believe in one God and I want to live a holy apostolic life, then don't be trying to make me like you or shame me into being like you. I have chosen to respond to the choosing. Hallelujah. Now what's this? 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to tell you. I'm just, just highlighting this. They said, make us a king like all the nations. Israel was trying to conform to the world, which was the opposite of what God wanted. The sad story of Samson was reaching the culmination in Judges chapter 16 whenever Delilah finally had pushed around all the buttons to find, try to find what would 
uh, actually bring this together for the Philistines. And finally, she asked him about the hair. And he said, well, he said, I've got a Nazarite vow. It was a vow of separation. Everybody say separation. It was about separation. And he said, if you, if I violate that vow of separation, then I will become weak like any other man. And that was the target of the enemy. I believe that God wants his church to have power on this, in this end time. And having power in this end time is not transforming ourselves to be like everybody else. But it's saying, God, what would you like? And if it's peculiar, I'm in. But I'm a chosen generation. I'm a part of that royal people that you have called. So I want to talk to you, and I'll just move through this real quickly because I've got some other things that I really need to get to. And that is, if you'll notice that in Genesis 14, Lot had been with Abraham. And um, there, there came a point in which um, Lot was, he, he was kidnapped and he was taken captive when all these people came down uh, and fought against Sodom. So one reason that it's good for us to be separated is because sometimes our fellowship gets us in trouble. Everybody say atmosphere. Um, I've used this for years. It's been kind of, kind of interesting, but a, a friend of mine gave me a, uh, a website, and he was trying to get me to eat good and stuff like that, and I always wanted to eat good. So I was eating steak and baked potato and that kind of stuff, but that wasn't what he had in mind. He wanted me to eat good. And so uh, he sent me to a website called Food Matters. Some of you may have seen it before, and it talks about all kinds of different stuff, but I don't, I don't even have any idea why. When I got on Food Matters one time, I started reading down through there, and it, there was a, a scientist on there writing, and still don't know what it has to do with eating cucumbers instead of steak. But um, anyway, he said something to this, this effect. He said, stem cell research has been going on since in the 60s. And I'm going, what? And he said that in some university, they were in some back lab room, you know. They were, they were working on these. And, they, and he said, this was what he said. He said, we took a stem cell, a stem cell, and we divided it into three different parts, the same stem cell. And he said, we put it in three different trays. And he said, when our experiment was over, he said, we went in and checked. And he said, in one tray, we had muscle. And in another tray, we had bone. And in another tray, we had fat. And he said, it completely confused us because we had one stem cell and it produced three different things. And he said, so we had to start backward engineering, finding out what we did different. And he said, when, when the final analysis came in, the only thing we had done different was we ended up putting those trays in different rooms. Same stem cell in the same kind of trays, just put them in different rooms. He said, so what we determined was that you can take the same stem cell and just change the atmosphere and come up with a different product. That's the reason when we walked in here a while ago, we were having a little bit of praise. 
But that praise doesn't mean near as much if it's coming from people who are worldly and are a part of a different atmosphere and bring that atmosphere into here. I just want to tell you tonight, it's comfortable in the church. Probably when you walk outside, it's going to say, woo, kind of cool out here, isn't it? But you know the reason it's different in here than it is out there is because we did what we could to change the environment in here from what's out there. All you have to do is turn off the heat in here. And in a matter of hours, the outside is going to start making its way in. That's the reason you need to encourage your pastor and tell the ministry, don't ever stop turning on a thermostat because we do not want the world in here. Praise God. Because what happens is atmosphere, we begin to assimilate, we begin to take on whatever the atmosphere we're living in. Lot ran with Abraham. Abraham gave him a good example, all of these kinds of things like that. And uh, the next thing you know, Lot has looked on the well-watered plains of Sodom. And he decides that it'd be good for him to live there, so he moves in. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on that, except to tell you that these nations came and attacked Sodom, and they took these captives, and they went away, and they, they, took, they took them uh, with them. And when they, when they took them with them, somebody got to Abraham and said, Hey, Lot's been taken captive. And so Abraham gets a band of men together, goes down there, and whips three nations. Pretty, pretty amazing. And he gets Lot back. But he doesn't just get Lot. He gets all of Lot's relatives, his wives, his, his, his kids. He, he gets all of his goods. Only thing different was when Abraham, whenever Abraham came back, he met Melchizedek, and the Bible said he gave tithes. This is not a part of the holiness series, but I will tell you there's a difference in paying tithes and giving tithes. Our terminology is kind of gotten off from the first mention. The first mention, Abraham gave tithes. You know why? Because there's a completely different attitude about paying than there is about giving. Paying is a debt that you resent. Nobody wants to pay bills. And you, that never, it never says that the Lord loves a cheerful payer. Just thought I'd throw that in there. I was just talking about Lot and Abraham, you know what I mean? So Lot gave tithes, or, or Abraham gave tithes for Lot to Melchizedek and turns around. I just want to throw this out here to you. Don't ever fall in love with the world. And especially when you begin to see what it's doing to you. He has just been taken captive. And now, basically, he's lost nothing. What I really wish that scripture had read was that they said, okay, Lot, you're back. And he said, you know what, guys? We've already got everything I own on this wagon. Let's just keep traveling. I don't want to stop here again. But there's a tendency for us to fall in love with the world. And he went back and settled in the same place that he just got in trouble. But I just want to mention to you just for what it's worth, the next time that Lot left Sodom, he left it with nothing. 
but his wife who turned back, and he ended up losing his two daughters as well into immorality, and you end up with all, all these situations going on. So I'm just telling you that the world is costly. Are we doing okay? okay. And so we have, to, we have to understand that we're not, we're not, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world is what the Scripture teaches us. And so, if we separate ourselves from the world, Brother Will Culberson made mention of this the other day when he was teaching at the church, and um, I want to I just expand upon it just a little bit. You know, we've preached for years that Pentecost is not a denomination, it is an experience. I'd like to take it a little bit farther and help you to understand it's not just an experience, it's a lifestyle. When you repent of your sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you have just begun the journey. Now the process is finding friends, getting established, preparing a routine that is going to help us to move forward and retain the experience because we translate it into lifestyle. Our schedule is adjusted because then we start figuring out when it's church time. Our lifestyle is completely changed because where we used to go, we don't go anymore. What we used to wear, we don't wear that anymore. What we used to say, we don't say that anymore. We even change, we even change beverages. Praise God, I'm a heavy drinker. Couldn't go on without another drink. But we need not just to say it was, oh, hallelujah. Listen, I have pastored far too long. And I have watched too many people receive a wonderful experience. I baptized them. Only to see them return back to the world. I am weary of that, Brother Mel. If I had all the people that I had prayed through, all the people that I had baptized, we would have had to go through three or four more building projects. Why? It's because not everybody that receives the Holy Ghost in an experience stays and remains. Why? Because staying and living for God. I don't. It's it's not original with me, but just let me let me grab it, uh, Peter. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. About 60-something words, I think, is what it is. 40 to 60, somewhere in there. I'm, I didn't study this up today, so this is just one of them things. But I, I do want to tell you, that he said then with many other words. Did he testify and exhort saying save yourself. You can repent but you can't forgive your sins. God has to do that. You can get baptized but you can't, get, you can't remit your own sins. God has to do that. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost but you can't do All of that's a God work. 
But then he turns around and says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. There, was, there were many other words. That's the reason that on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, we're teaching you the word of the Lord because there's many other words. Because it's about more than just how many goosebumps you feel. It's about is there a lifestyle change? Everybody say purpose. We need to get focused on God and on the church and get completely in the church. I preached this to the church the other night, something to this effect. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. But in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says there's an old boy named Eutychus. You know where Eutychus was at? He was sitting in the window. It doesn't say that the place was too full. It doesn't say that there was not, there was not room down in, the, down in the meeting place. What in the world was Eutychus doing in the window? He was watching what was going on outside. He could always just turn his head and see that old boy going down the street with a load of bread. Oh, yeah, I'm still got Paul in one ear, but I'm seeing what's going on out there. If I could give you some admonition tonight, if that happens to be your position, get out of the window. It doesn't matter what they're doing out there because Paul is about to leave, and that's his final address to those guys before he's going to leave there and probably be uh, jailed and put away and eventually executed. He has no idea how precious the moments are that this man is standing there passionately pouring himself out. Yeah, he preached a long time. You know why? Because it was his last opportunity. Yeah, he preached a long time after Eutychus fell out the window. And I always will tell you right now, you don't ever find anybody falling in. You got to get at it to get in. But you can just with no effort at all fall out. That's the reason we, oh, hallelujah. Am I getting a little bit? That's the reason we got to get a little passionate about this. Got to push ourselves to pray. Got to push ourselves to read. No, you're not always going to feel exactly like it, but it's worth it to make sure you don't get up in the window somewhere and then get lassadaisical and doze off to sleep and fall out because you don't fall in the church. You always fall out, and it always takes a miracle to rescue somebody that was in but fell out. Paul goes out, raised him from the dead. The Bible says he goes back to preaching, and he preaches to daylight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you about a man that was passionate to preach the Word of God. I'm telling you, I really honestly believe that we are getting that close to the end of time right now, that we never know when it's going to be the last message we're going to hear. We never know when it's going to be the last service. It's time for us to get out of the window. It's time for us to quit worrying about what's going on in the world. It's time for us to get focused. It's not holiness from the world. It's holiness unto the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Now, I'm going to try to bring this to a, to a culmination here of what I really want to get across tonight. You remember that um, Judah was taken captive, and they were in Babylonian captivity for about 70 years. 
And then there was the overthrow of Belshazzar and his kingdom. And then it opens up in the book of Ezra. Begins to talk about the Medes, the Persians had taken over and so on. And the Bible says that Ezra okayed. Now, let me, let, me, let me back up here and tell you that. When, when they took them captive, they also burned the temple. They destroyed it. And so, when they burned the temple, it laid in ruins all that time. And then Ezra, God moved on his heart and told him, or began to give him a burden for going back and reconstructing the temple. Cyrus was the king, I guess it was, and he said, uh, God began to deal on his heart. Let me tell you something. If you will live right, God never works on one spot at a time. He will work even in the world to bring favor to you. Just go ahead and do what's right with God. And so Cyrus said, you know what? I'm going to let you guys go back there. And he said, um, we're going to start sending some of the, some of the Babylonian, uh, some of the captivities, captives back there. Ezra led them. And the Bible says this. It's kind of an interesting story. I'll try not to get bogged down in it. But when they, when they went back, Ezra got together a group of guys, and they, they laid the foundation of the temple. They cleaned things up, and they laid the foundation of the temple. Well, when they started working on laying the foundation of the temple, there were people in the surrounding areas. One of them was Sanballat. The other one was Tobiah. And they got really upset. Because they were coming back here to do that work. And so, uh, Brother Rhett, they started a propaganda campaign. Now, you can always rest assured that no war is fought only with weapons. But there's propaganda of public relations and lies that are told and trying to move the will of the people against what's going on. That's what... Sanballat and Tobiah began to, they got them some attorneys and the counselors wrote letters back to Cyrus and began to say, well, you, you can't do this. You look back into the records and see that this city and the people that lived here caused insurrection against the king and all those kinds of things like that. And, and so we had the situation as well. You see, the enemy is going to fight the church. And he's going to fight it through the world. But sometimes he even causes division in the church. Because when they laid that foundation, the young men rejoiced and the old men wept. And the old men came out and said, well, that doesn't look like near as big a church as we used to have. Don't believe y'all got what we had. And there was a division, a generational gap that developed. Young men threw down their, their, their trowel, their, they, they, they took their, 
stuff and went home and began to work in the world and bring in things, and, and they, they were using their talents and energies to provide for their families. Nothing wrong with providing for your families, just you don't have to throw down the work of God to do that. We doing okay, everybody? Just follow me along here just a minute. Anyway, there was, a, there was a suspension of the work. And I think you'll find that to be probably around 14 years or so. Then there is a prophet called Haggai that comes along. And he said, is it not time to build the house of the Lord? And so he revs them back up and he gets, he heals the, 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 the gap that is between the young men and the elders. Gets the unity back. They go to work and, of course, stirs up Sanballat and Tobiah again. They start trying to um, bark and do all kinds of things that they could do to get this thing pulled aside. And it's not working because they send those letters and they just kind of didn't, didn't do any good. And eventually the, the, the good vessels, those golden vessels, were shipped back. Things were moving along pretty good. But there was always this contested spirit from Sanballat and Tobiah. They just didn't like that. But then they changed. They changed their motive and their, and their, their, um, their plan. And they said, look, we're not doing very good at fighting them. Let's get to be friends with them. And so they moved in and started being friends with them. And, and um, the Bible says that as they begin to do that, eventually, I, wanna, I just want to tell you that Tobiah was buddies with the high priest Elisha, whose grandson had married the daughter of Sanballat. Now, eventually, Tobiah was convinced or, or had convinced the priest to allow him to set up in the temple and to take part with all the merchandise exchange and different things that were going on in the temple. So they'd kind of ease their way in. Then in process, there's an old boy down there by the name of Nehemiah, and he gets a burden for the wall. And he comes back and starts surveying everything. When he gets back, you know what he finds? He finds that Sanballat and Tobiah have full access to the temple. And they just get to come right in there, and they're, they're mixing right in with it. Nehemiah goes and surveys the wall, and he realizes what it's going to take to try to get it fixed, and he's doing it at night because he understands it's going to be a problem. And then when they begin to get aware of what Nehemiah is doing, they begin to really bristle. That's all right. Nehemiah doesn't matter because in, it doesn't matter to him. In chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, it says, And before this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God, this is Nehemiah 13, verse 4, was allied unto Tobiah. 
And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. So Nehemiah's telling you, I, hadn't, I didn't see all this happening. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of uh, Babylon came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. Watch this now in verse number 7. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elisha uh, did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of the Lord. And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. It was eviction notice from Nehemiah that you are moving out of here. Guess what happened then? Sanballat and Tobiah got together and they got to rallying everybody because they did not want the wall to be built. Matter of fact, it got so rough that Nehemiah chapter 4, he describes it like this, verse 17. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it every one of his hands, um, laid it every one with one of his hands and work in, and wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon for the builders. Every one had his sword girded by his side and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Nehemiah is trying to paint the picture that the only way we got the wall built was we had a weapon in one hand and a trowel in the other. Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you tonight, there is a reason why that they caused a big fuss over them building the temple is because they didn't want them to have a temple to begin with. But that was no fight whatsoever compared to the fight over the wall. Why? It's because that Sanballat and Tobiah were going to be locked out. I know a reason why that those people that have repented of their sins and been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to preach to somebody here in just a few minutes. I know why that they may not last very long. It's because that the building of the wall is up to you. And the Scripture says, thy walls are salvation. Why? It's because that it's not just about the experience. It's about putting up a wall of protection. I'm here tonight to present to you on this first Wednesday night that holiness is the wall that stops the enemy from having access to your spiritual experience that you receive on that glorious night. Somebody in this house tonight needs to start grabbing a trowel and start picking up some brick and saying, no, sir, devil, you're not coming in here. You're not taking over what God gave me Sunday night because Monday I'm going to be living a life that's going to keep you out. 
gift. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. That's why the devil got so mad whenever they started building a wall because he had complete run of the temple. He doesn't care how good a blessing you get on Sunday night. If by noon Monday he's walked in there and kicked everything over that you've got straightened out. You want to live for God? You want to be still living for him when it's all said and done? You lock the devil out of your business. You build a wall against him. You say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not accessing that. I'm not clicking on that. I'm not doing these kinds of things because it's putting a hole in the wall. It's allowing the devil to come in. He's working on my mind. He's working on my spirit. He's allowing me to participate in things that I know are wrong, and my spirit perishes because of it. You cannot fight that battle. You have got to build the wall. And building the wall is listening to what your pastor says. And if you got a question about something, he can help you. And if you will value his word, pick up a few bricks and go back out and put them in place. Because it takes a while sometimes for us to get past. Sanballat and Tobiah are going to be hating it the whole time. And you may have to yank that sword out and fight for a little while. But what you got is worth protecting. I said what you've gotten is worth protecting. You've come too far. And you'll shut down a whole lot of the battle if you'll build a wall. Anybody remember Elder Brother Clifton Coleman used to sing, Can't nobody do me like Jesus. I pastored him for about 25 years or so. And he told me, he said, Pastor, when I, when I started living for God, he said, I was having it rough. And he said, I was always beat down. You know, it's not really a, just a cakewalk whenever you get in the church. Because those guys you used to do things with, they start saying, what's wrong with you? And you start suffering the persecution. The intimidation, all those kinds of things. Brother Coleman said, man, I'd come in. He said, I wore this one brother out. He said, I'd come in and I'd talk to him. And I'd say, brother, man, he, I'd start laying it on him about how bad it was and praying in the altar and all that stuff. He said, finally, one night, I guess he had enough of it. He said, I walked back in. He said, man, I need to talk to you. He said, man, I'm not doing very good. And he said, he turned around and looked up at me right in my eyes, and he said, Cliff, quit sinning. He said, I went, oh, okay. And you know what he found out? He was still living for God when it was all over. You know what he found out? I quit dabbling in the world. I quit letting Sandbell and Tobiah through the wall. What I got on Sunday night lasted. What I was able to get on Wednesday night, they didn't come by and pilfer it. They didn't come and kick it over and ravage everything that was going on because holiness built a wall. It 
See, the thing about this is it, this part that I'm talking about tonight is individual. It is kind of selfish because, Sister Denise, nobody can build your wall for you. Brother Melton can't build a wall for you. I can't build a wall for you. But you yourself have to pick up the bricks and put them in place because you know yourself. Remember what I was talking about, that, that personal conviction? We all have different vulnerabilities. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? And Jesus said, well, you know the, thing, you know the commandments, this and that. So the old boy kind of threw his shoulders back and stuck his thumb through his suspenders and said, good deal. He said, uh, all these have I kept from my youth up. I'm, I've been a good boy. And Jesus stopped him and said, but one thing thou lackest. You know what I like in that too? You ever, people that come to church and they may have 10 vices. And they'll find out whenever they come to church, they will repent, baptize, fill with the Holy Ghost. And the amazing thing is they can probably get rid of nine of them. But there's always one left. Everybody say one thing. You know what it is? It's always there. With the question, lovest thou me more than these? It's the one thing of your area of vulnerability because we all have different personalities. And that's the reason we can't look across the aisle at somebody that's struggling with something and say, I don't get it. Why are they having a problem with that? Well, it's the same that they don't get why you're having a problem with what you have. Because we all have different struggles. Predicated upon background, experiences, personality, all of, all of those things. It's all right, boy. And so that's the reason why we have to search in our minds and our hearts to do the best that we could possibly do to make sure that we have asked God, help me, Lord, to be honest with you in the things that I'm struggling with. Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. I will leave you with this tonight just to tell you that. What you have received is worth protecting. So it's a beautiful experience, but it's got to be transformed into a lifestyle. That is building the wall. See, I hate it that the world has blurred the line so bad. Used to, Brother Melton. So you could ask somebody, say, were they in the church? And the answer was either yes or no. Now you say, are they in the church? And it's, well, kind of. And the reason is because the enemy's done everything that they could, that there were no literal lines of demarcation. wanted to rub that out to where that there was no identity that says this is the church and this is not. Praise God. Lord, help us is my prayer.
You know what I feel? I feel there's a group of people across this country right now that is rising. They don't want to entangle themselves in the world. They don't want Tobiah in the house. But they're reaching for a place where they can come in and say, God, this place belongs to you, and we're going to build a wall of holiness around my experience. Hallelujah. Would you just throw your hands in the air right now? I feel the presence of God moving on us. Hallelujah, Lord. It is so precious, Lord Jesus. It is so precious to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your protection. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us build a wall. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I admonish you tonight, build a wall around yourself personally that no enemy can come in. Whatever you need to do, protect yourself. You know the areas of vulnerability. Build a wall around your family. Build a wall around the church. Let's make it hard for the devil to get to us. I want to encourage you that, I don't know, it really... It really seems like we could be raptured out of here any day. But if we're not, do what Abraham was instructed to do. The Lord told him, said, wherever you place your feet, I want you to walk. And he told him, I want you to walk all the way to the Euphrates and across. I'll give you everywhere that you walk, everywhere you step, right? If I could encourage you in this house tonight, don't limit your children to about a half acre plot because you wouldn't walk in the fullness of the truth. It's going to get cramped in a while and it's going to become miserable in Canaan land simply because my generation didn't walk in the fullness of truth. Now I've heard some people say, and this may this may be a little bit strong, but it's not near as bad as wasabi sauce. But I have heard some people say this, Brother Milton. I believe the message. I just don't believe in that holiness stuff. Let me explain to you. If you don't believe in separation from the world and you don't believe in allegiance to Him, you don't believe the message because it's inseparable. And I will tell you unequivocally all it takes is time. When people walk away from what we've talked about here tonight and you leave the wall down. Sanballat and Tobiah will possess the church and the doctrine will no longer be important to us. You cannot stop. You can't figure where to stop.
in permissive living. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it, all right? It's just me. Blame me, all right? It's me, not him. I just want to tell you. I was having a discussion with our family this past December, I guess it was. May have been Thanksgiving, but anyway, we were, we were together, and I made this statement. I said, watch, and you will see the people that turn away from the consecration, dedication of holy living and tell the church, I don't believe that's important anymore. But we're going to go ahead and preach this plan of salvation. I said, how come it doesn't seem to work? How come that that full-time pastor ends up needing to go get a job? How come that once packed out building loses momentum and shrinks down to nothing? Why? Well, let me explain to you. Because you cannot draw a line on how far discipline will deteriorate when you, when you first break it down. Because the same discipline that made them live a dedicated life is the same discipline that makes them show up to church. It's the same discipline that makes them give. It's the same discipline that makes them hold up the truth. And you can't draw a line and say, we're going to not have discipline up to here, but then it's going to begin here because it always rolls over. That's the reason why you cannot afford to leave the wall down because Tobiah and Sandalic will never be satisfied. God bless you.